0: The St. Louis Cardinals have put together their most talented roster since maybe 2013, but will they achieve that same success this year? Let's break it down. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Birds on the Bat podcast. My name, as always, is Brandon Evans, and well, to put it lightly, Pretty high on this Cardinals team. I mean, you got the obvious addition of Nolan Arenado, which is going to make the lineup sexier, sure, but it's not only one bat in this lineup that he's going to be affecting. So let's talk about what's going to change. Well, first off, Paul Goldschmidt. Last year he hit 304 with the 417 on base, 466 slugging for an OPS of 883. And an OPS plus of 142, which is slightly above his career average of 141. So, if he's going to lead our team in OPS and OPS plus, which he did, as well as walks with 37, which was 12 higher than the next closest, Brad Miller, he's going to get some protection, finally, with Nolan Arenado coming in. We've also got Dylan Carlson, who's hopefully going to continue taking steps forward. I mean, he's going to see a lot more strikes, and that is huge for this team, huge for Paul Goldschmidt, because the more competitive pitches he sees, the more are going to miss, and he is going to be able to hit 500 feet. Uh, It's pretty self-explanatory that this should be Goldie's most successful year as a Cardinal, just because of that protection. Uh, Back in 2018, he had Marcelo Zuna, and that was fine, but that was it. That team could not hit at all. So that lineup, obviously much weaker overall than what the Cardinals have this year when they have at least six or seven competitive uh bats. The next big change is going to be Matt Carpenter. He's not going to be starting anymore. He's going to be just kind of a sub guy as well as a pinch hitter against right-handed pitching, obviously. And that's a plus because he had an OPS plus of 77 last year, so 23% lower than an average hitter. And that was also the second lowest OPS plus on the team. He also only hit 186 which that's never going to get the job done. And sure, it was down offensive year for the entire division, but hitting 186 is just, that's terrible. That's even worse than Javier Baez, who, I mean, other than being the most overrated player in the MLB, he had a terrible year last year. And it also might be an advantage for Matt Carpenter to only use him in matchups uh, against right-handed pitching, against like playing him every day, kind of wearing him down, that's not going to get the job done with Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter thrives versus righties, so he's going to see a lot more right-handed pitching. He's also going to get an AB like once every other day or so, and that's that's going to be huge for his success. And obviously, if somebody gets hurt we're going to have Matt Carpenter be able to step in instead of a guy like maybe Edmundo Sosa who would be stepping in there. So overall Matt Carpenter, I think is going to definitely hit better this year than he has been the past two years. He's not going to put up the same numbers that he did in 2018, but it's going to be probably his most successful year in the past few years. It. It's probably for the best overall that he steps back into this, like, veteran presence role, uh, platoon role. But we're going to see. Overall, Nolan Arenado is a much better bat than Matt Carpenter, and I think we're definitely going to see that this year. Tommy Edmond. Uh, that's also going to be a huge plus for our lineup now. He's going to be an everyday starter, both with the glove and with the bat, you don't need to pick one anymore. He's he's gonna be able to do both. In his two-year career, he's hitting 283 with an OPS plus of 109, which 109 is gonna be higher than Matt Carpenter's 77 from last year. Edmund is also still developing, so he's gonna continue to get better with the bat while Carpenter's regressing. And speed kills. It's a saying for a reason. I mean, we're going to have Tommy Edmund, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader. Those are all going to be huge threats on the base pads, even with base stealing as far down as it is in the league right now. We're still going to be able to see extra runs created with that speed. And so long as Edmund can cut down on his strikeout numbers, he might be a best like shot at a true leadoff guy in a very long time kind of like a David Eckstein or something like that so if we've got a true leadoff guy that's really going to help set the table early on in games and hopefully manufacture a lot of runs which is I would say the biggest thing that we need to fix from last year and I mean I can't go through this without mentioning that Nolan Arenado, that guy can also kind of hit a little bit. (laughs) Uh, I would say expect probably a slight boost in his overall numbers, like average, on-base percentage, pretty much everything except for slugging because he won't have to continuously adjust with those breaking balls that aren't breaking as much in Colorado as they are at sea level. He's not going to have to adjust every time they go on a road trip. It's just going to be the same kind of thing over and over again. It's going to be a little tougher for his power numbers just because he can't hit a lazy fly ball that finds its way out of the stadium. But other than that, I'm expecting a pretty, pretty big year from Nolan Arenado. He was hurt last year, but in 2019, he hit 315 with a 962 OPS and a 130 OPS plus. And OPS Plus does factor in ballpark adjustments, so that Coors Field effect is gone there. He hit 41 home runs and 31 doubles, I think also three triples. That is something that is going to be very nice when you're looking at our lineup. We need guys that can hit the ball out of the ballpark and pretty consistently get an extra base hit that's going to clear the bases or get a rally going. And then he kept on lowering his strikeout rate from last year. So that's another really good, really good part of Arenado's game. He's not going to strike out too much, which means more runs manufactured, more stuff happening on the base paths. Even as we go to a more of a true outcome style game, Arenado is going to, he's, he's going to get the home run part of it, but he's not going to have to worry about the strikeout rate, which is nice. And he also walks a lot. So that's another really, really elite part of his game. And that's going to help us a ton. Some other questions that I have for our lineup going into the year. uh, Will Paul DeYoung bring back the 30 plus home run season that we saw in 2019? Or is he going to hit for more average? Or Worst-case scenario, does he continue regressing and striking out at a very high rate? He led our team in strikeouts last year, which is not something that we're going to want to have to deal with at the top of the order, especially in that five-hole. We're going to need somebody that's going to be able to hit some singles, some doubles to drive in Arenado when he is on second base. Uh, Arenado and Goldschmidt. I mean, if you got second and third with those guys you're going to want to see a lot of singles that are going to drive in two runs. But I I definitely think that DeYoung is going to have a very high RBI season, which is going to be great because, again, more runs manufactured. It's going to be interesting to see how Dylan Carlson plays this season. At the beginning of the year, when he first got called up, He was struggling a lot, but then when we called him back up at the end of the year, it seemed like he fixed everything. He was able to hit off-speed pitches much better, so pitchers couldn't just give him those because he was mashing fastballs all year. It just comes down to hitting the off-speed stuff, and that's a huge adjustment from AAA to the majors. But it's going to be interesting to see which Dylan Carlson we get. I personally think that he's going to keep on developing and keep on turning into this star that we know that it can be and at the top of that lineup I'm telling you we're going to be able to make a lot of runs happen if our pitching staff can do the same thing that they did last year and then we're manufacturing more runs all of a sudden we are a very scary team and we beat San Diego in that best of three wild card series Uh, It's also going to be interesting to see if Bader and O'Neal can start playing up to their potentials and be at least league average hitters. If Bader and O'Neal can both hit pretty much at league average for their positions, this lineup is crazy deep. Just one through eight, we're going to be able to drive in guys. We're going to be able to get rallies going from wherever in the lineup. And there's going to be crazy protection for Goldschmidt and Arenado at, at just the top of the lineup. So we're driving more runs in. And even, hey, if Bader or O'Neal keep on hitting like they have been, specifically O'Neal, Bader's actually kind of stepping up, and he really did start stepping up at the end of the year. We could always have Tommy Edman move back to the outfield and then call up Nolan Gorman to play second base. And then how would Gorman step into that role? That's going to be something that we're going to have to look at. I personally have high hopes for Nolan Gorman. I'm not sure when we're going to call him up. If we're going to call him up this year, that's still not a given. But it'll be interesting to see if he does get called up, how he's going to hit. Because there's obviously going to be an adjustment period that we're going to have to look out for. Kind of like Carlson. If you can get both those guys going, oh, this lineup is terrifying. And then lastly, I mean, maybe the least important, uh, how will Yachty's age affect him? He's really getting up there in age, but last year he still hit fine. He was a singles machine, actually, so that's huge for our lineup if he can continue doing that. Kind of driving in everybody that set the table for them, And then, I don't want to say ending rallies, but you're not going to have any speed out there on the base pads. So, kind of like just a grand finale. Here's Yadier Molina, drives in a run, and there's the inning. We've got momentum. Overall, I definitely think this lineup is going to be deep, or at least have a chance to be deep. And that's going to be the biggest part of this year to look out for, for the Cardinals. How is the offense going to perform? So yeah, those are just some of the many changes that should stem from one guy, Nolan Arenado, being here. So let's talk about where this team should expect to be by the end of the year, my hopes for this team, my expectations for the team, and are we going to be playing October baseball? Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, I've got the Cardinals at 92 and 70, winning the NL Central by five games over the Milwaukee Brewers and taking the three seed in the NL playoffs. Of course, we are not the strongest team when it comes to like regular season expected wins. Dodgers, Padres, Braves are probably going to beat us out there. Maybe the Mets. But what we lack with that, we excel at in having a very weak division, probably the weakest division in baseball. And I don't see too much resistance. I mean, maybe the Brewers will be able to compete for a little bit. But I think by the end of the year, we're going to really prove that, yeah, we're the best team in the Central, and we're going to pull away. I also think that we probably have the most clear path to a division title in the entire MLB. The Dodgers still have to get by the Padres, who are really good. Those are probably the two best teams in baseball. Braves have to get by the Mets, Astros, and A's, and Angels. I mean, the AL West is down this year, so it's going to be interesting to see how all that shakes out. The Twins and White Sox have to battle it out, and then you got the Yankees, the Rays, and the Blue Jays that are all going to be competing in that AL East. So I would say, yeah, we've probably got the most clear path to a division title in the MLB. And our pitching staff, like I said earlier, they were good last year. They should still be able to carry us in games where the offense doesn't really show up. That's going to be massive for this team because there's obviously going to be days where you can't really hit and you struggle putting a few hits together, but say we get, like, two runs in the first inning, our pitching staff definitely has the potential to be able to lock that down and keep us ahead in that game. After making the playoffs, I'm not really too sure how much farther the Cardinals should get. Again, because the Dodgers, Padres, Mets, and Braves are all stacked. But as we know, the Cardinals as a franchise really know how to turn it on in the playoffs. And this team truly believes that they can compete for a World Series title. Ask anybody on the team. I mean, obviously nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, I don't think that we can win the World Series. But this team really believes in themselves. And that goes a long way, especially once you get to October. And overall, because why not? Doesn't really matter. All of the Cardinals pull out some Cardinal Magic and win the World Series. That's my hopes. Uh We've seen much worse Cardinals teams come out on top. It's also likely Wayno and Molina's goodbye season. So what better year is there to go out and win a title? Saying goodbye to those two guys. holes might be retiring at the end of the year. It would be awesome to see all three of those guys sent off with a true win. And a final World Series victory. Obviously, Pujols wouldn't be able to celebrate with the team, but I feel like he'd be happy for us. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to the postseason, our pitching staff's definitely capable of keeping us in postseason games. We've got Jack Flaherty, uh KK, Adam Wainwright, he's got tons of playoff experience. Miles Michaelis, I trust him. Dakota Hudson said that he wants to be back for the playoffs. Carlos Martinez is looking good right now. Our bullpen's really good. We're we're a very deep pitching staff, and that's a huge factor when it comes to the playoffs. And something that I want to stress, we probably will not win the World Series, but why not dream? Crazier things, again, have happened The 2006 Cardinals team was nowhere close to the amount of talent that this team has. So, why not? We're the Cardinals. I've just got kind of a gut feeling about this season. Realistically, sure, we're an NLDS exit against the Braves, probably. But we beat the Braves in 2019. What makes you think that we could not do it again with a better team? I mean, how much better are the Braves than they were then? They lost Donaldson. Sure, they have Ozuna now. I guess Soroka and Freed have developed an extra year. I'm not too scared of the Braves, honestly. And I'll discuss my uh, season predictions for the rest of the league in March when we're drawing closer to the actual season, record predictions, playoff predictions, stuff like that. So to kind of sum up all of that, I expect this team to win their division and win around 90 games. That's my expectations for this team. That should be the baseline. Again, other than maybe the Brewers, there shouldn't be another team that's even close to the Cardinals in this division race. I really can't see a scenario where the Reds or the Cubs win the division. I mean, the Pirates are a team that we're going to have to look out for. Jeez. The Pirates are a terrible, terrible, terrible team. Every time that we play them should be a win. And, yeah, my overall hope is this team plays how we've grown used to the Cardinals playing as, which is playing way above their talent level and pay grade in October, And hunting down that Commissioner's Trophy. So that's my expectations, my hopes for this team. Now let's jump into some just overall MLB news. And it's not Cardinals related, but I thought I'd also discuss uh, Jeff Mathers' wild past couple days. Which involved a Seattle Rotary meeting and a speech. He spoke very, uh, how, do, how do I put this, uh, honestly, about how he's been running this team, and the MLBPA should be loving this. this. This dude, he talked about manipulating the service time of their top prospect, like Jared Kelinek, Julio Rodriguez, Logan Gilbert. He talked about waiting to call them up, even though they're ready, very openly which is going to be awesome for grievances. And like, at least with Carlson last year, Mazalak talked about how Carlson needed to work on his glove or something. I forget the exact reason that they didn't have him called up at the beginning of the season, but he at least gave a reason. might have been a bullshit reason, but he was a reason. And I don't like that service time manipulation is a thing, but it is, and we have to accept that. And when a president of a team comes out and says something like, this guy has no chance of being called up this year and probably won't next year, or you won't see him April 1st, but you'll see a guy named Logan Gilbert in mid-April. It's a punch in the gut. He's very, very openly talking about saying, I don't want to pay this guy. I want an extra year of control. And if nobody holds him accountable, if the MLBPA doesn't step in there, that's just terrible. He also said that this is Kyle Seeger's last season in Seattle, even though there's an option for his contract next year. So that was weird. Uh, His wife tweeted out uh, asking if she should put her house on the market or not after she heard that, which I think that's a fair assessment. Kyle Seeger is such a beast in Seattle, he's probably definitely their best player. Eh, Kyle Lewis is up there. But I mean, what what are you doing? Come on, Mather. We're we're better than this. And sure, Mather did step down after people listened to that speech and got pissed. But it represents a much larger problem in baseball right now, which is owners really only care about their profits. And it's really showing now more than ever. I get it. Baseball is a business, but at least be more discreet than being the most proud of saving a couple bucks with paying your players, nothing and not putting together a competitive team. Even though your franchise is one of the worst in MLB history. At some point you got to win. And also don't be proud of your parking situation. Being so bad that you're happy that your fans are willing to pay you $50 to park in your lot. And you're not going to let your employees park in your parking lot. He said that they have to park across in like CenturyLink Field. And that's just terrible. It's treating your employees with zero respect. It's treating your players with zero respect. That's treating your fans with no respect. So... I'm glad I'm not a Mariners fan. I feel like we can all agree to that. And with that, I'm going to wrap up today's episode. First off, I wanted to thank you all for the amazing support that I got on that first episode. It was helpful and it's going to keep me going. And I'm promising that I'm working to make this show as entertaining and well-produced as possible. Got a few ideas. I, just need to see what exactly I can do to make this show as entertaining as possible. But I'll talk to you guys again on Friday, which is where I'll give my preseason power rankings for all 30 MLB teams. But until then, my name, as always, is Brandon Evans, and this has been the Birds on the Bass podcast. Thanks for listening.